0: Well, I want to welcome you to another episode of our Bible study, our podcast Bible study on the Gospel of John. This is Brad Scott. I'm pastor of Sweetwater First United Methodist Church in Sweetwater, Tennessee, and I welcome you to this time of the study of God's Word. We're in the sixth chapter of John today, and we will, um, this is a long chapter, so we'll see. I don't think we'll get all the way through it. We'll probably break this up at least twice or three times. But uh, we're going to begin with that as we um, have walked with Jesus through the first five chapters, and we've seen that there's been several things that he's, he's been doing. Well, t- today, uh, we're going to uh, have an opportunity to see what Jesus does with the crowd when they're hungry and here's what uh, the scripture says it says after this jesus went to the other side of the sea of galilee also called the sea of tiberias a large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples now the passover the festival of the jews was near And when he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Well, this is an interesting story, and it uh, is a story that actually we get an account of in all four Gospels. Matthew 14, 13 and 21, Mark 6, 30 to 44, Luke 9, 10 to 17, um, all record this story in their own different way, Uh, but it's interesting that it's in all four, because we don't get that in all the gospel, and everything that happens in Jesus' life doesn't get reported in all four gospels. In fact, we've seen already several things that are unique to John, and how Uh, John has chosen to tell this story. And while I'm speaking of that, let me just mention, I think I've brought this up earlier, that um, in John's gospel, we're not going to get a retelling of the institution of the Last Supper. You get that in the other Gospels, and you get some things about that in some of Paul's writings, but you don't get a pres- a prescription of, or a prescriptive narrative where Jesus says this is what you need to do and, and and does the sharing of bread and wine. What we're going to get in John's Gospel in the 13th chapter is what Happened the way John wants to remember it on the third on the uh night before Jesus was crucified, and uh John is the only gospel that talks to us about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Now a lot of churches have taken that to mean that foot washing is as important as Holy Communion, um, which is what we call the Last Supper, and um, and so some churches believe that when they do Holy Communion, they also need to do foot washing. Uh, you don't find that in a lot of church denominations, but you find it in some. Uh, based on the fact that when they read the Bible, that's what they find. And John is the only gospel that doesn't tell us about Holy Communion. He just tells us about uh, Jesus having a conversation with his disciples and then washing washing their feet. And it, um, it's a very interesting thing. But what we do get in John in regards to a holy meal... Is the way John chooses to tell us about this miracle of the feeding of the five thousand, and there's lots of pieces of this, the way it's told, that uh, we need to pay attention to because it harkens back to other other things and harkens forward to what becomes the ritual of communion in the church. In fact, Jesus is going to take some time to do some teaching. We're we're getting in this chapter, again, the way John likes to write things. We're getting this miracle story, and then he's going to follow that up with another miracle story. And then there's going to be a long uh, time of teaching that Jesus will do that has to do with the theme of the bread of life. And, um, so we'll see that, you know, it, it will have a lot of connotations of how we understand things to be with communion, but it will not, you know, it's not communion necessarily, but it, it is related to other, other things. So, Let's look at it a little bit. It, this happens on, it says, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, we were in the um, place where Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day uh, when he was at a festival in Jerusalem. And then we left that um uh, well he 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 left there and was found still in the city uh when the healed person was trying to figure out who it was that healed him and then uh as we left chapter five uh Jesus has just been doing some teaching you know uh about the relationship between him and the Father, and so forth. And um, and then all of a sudden, he's on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So we're not real certain that this is chronologically trustworthy. We don't know that this is exactly where this belongs. In fact, there's been a a, a running commentary by people who have studied John through the years that say that they believe he got it all written and set the paper on a shelf and near a window and the wind came and blew it, away, blew it, blew it all around. And uh, when they picked it up, it was just kind of haphazard. You know how things get when you pick up a bunch of papers and you don't have time to straighten them out. And evidently there are some places where some things happened that don't seem quite um, in agreement with the chronology of of things in the other Gospels. So, it's just interesting how, you know, John John's telling it to us from a perspective, really, of an old man looking back on it. And uh, he's trying to put some unity to it, but at the same time, some of the details um, get uh, a, a little strange, but this particular place, the setting is the Sea of Galilee, and, he, and Jesus has gone over to the other side. So, uh, in in spite of his going over, it says a large crowd kept following him. So the people were coming because they were hearing him teach and. Now, that could be that this is whoever he was teaching to in the end of chapter 5. Remember, we had a little discussion about that. Um, that we didn't know exactly whether he was teaching his disciples, whether he was teaching the Pharisees and Sadducees, or whether he was teaching uh, just the, a, a general crown. Uh, if this is supposed to be hooked to chapter 5, Then you could kind of believe that, well, maybe the crowd, this is the crowd that heard those words. And now they're following Jesus and trying to be where he is. But it says that they followed him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. And that is how we understand Jesus' fame spread through the area. Uh, was because of the miracles that he did wherever he went. He touched uh, the sick and healed them. Well, it says Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now, that kind of, that detail going up the mountain kind of harkens back to Matthew's gospel and the Sermon on the Mount. We don't know that this is the same, Um. But we could. I mean, it was it was near the Sea of Galilee that that Jesus gave that near the town of Capernaum and um uh, in in view of the sea. So so this could be that setting. It doesn't tell us exactly, but it it um uh, uh, just says that uh, this was. You know, this was where the crowd got up with him, so he sat down there with his disciples. When Jesus sits down with his disciples, that means he's going to do some teaching. Well, it says uh, in verse four: Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. Um, that's interesting. That kind of gets put in there. Um, that you know we're reminded that. Uh, you know, and on the last week of Jesus' life, the Passover's going on. Here it is, sort of a foretaste of it. Um, this is not the same year as that, as when we get to the, like the uh, 12th chapter, or whatever, wherever it is when the triumphal in, entry comes in. But um, it is, um, it is um, similar to that. But it says that um, when he looked up and saw a large crowd coming, Jesus said to Philip, all right, where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? And, uh, you know, Philip gives an answer that basically says that's impossible. And then John tells us that Jesus said this to test him because he knew what he was going to do. So Jesus already had this planned out. He already knew that he was going to feed these people. Now, how do we know that? Well, possibly because Jesus may have told the disciples later. Um, that would be the the biggest, um, uh, most, most reliable way of thinking about that um, because he spent a lot of time with them, so surely he had time to tell them. Um, but it's interesting that he names Philip, you know, We get a Philip Call story in John, and uh, so here he's brought Philip back to the forefront with this question, Where, where are we to buy food for these people to eat? And Philip said six months wages would not buy enough food, enough bread for each of them to get a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, also one of those original disciples that we saw in the call section of chapter 1, says to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, I don't know, maybe that was common for kids to carry around food, but, uh, you know, Basically, he might have been taking food home to his family. We don't know. It was a little bit more than one person needed. So obviously, he was doing something, probably on a chore. Um, and Andrew happened to notice it. And um, Jesus, hearing it, says, make the people sit down. So they... Uh they seed him down says there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down about five thousand in all. I think the, some of the other gospel accounts say five thousand men plus women and children, so it's hard to under it's hard to know um you know how accurate that number is, but you know they would have been able to to tell in those days better than we can uh about how many they thought was there. And John says 5,000. So Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks... Now, see, there's one of those places where it sounds like communion, doesn't it? Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. Now, he didn't say anything about it. He's It's just that he gave thanks. This is a very... Um, very much like how Jewish people would have done things at a meal, especially a meal where guests are present. You know, he would invite them to sit down. You know, that's the number one thing. If you're going to have people to your house for a meal, you invite them to sit wherever you want them to to eat the meal. And then uh, he gave thanks. Now, We don't individually, possibly, practice giving thanks for our meals like Christians used to do. The reason I say that is, you know, when when I go out in public and I see people eat, I seldom see anybody pray. Once in a while I do. But you know it used to be common practice, and uh I was obnoxious when I was in college i I would go out with my friends we would be having a a meal when the food came. <laughs> I always let them in a a prayer and they got kind of aggravated at me but um but it was you know i i was raised that that's what you need to do so but that the origin of that comes out of Jewish practice. And here Jesus is in that um, same vein, doing the same thing, which also should inform us that when we have a prayer of thanksgiving before communion, we are borrowing from Jewish tradition as it's come to us through the New Testament. And so that's what that's all about. In fact, you know, the, the... there is a way of referring to Holy Communion by a word called Eucharist. And the word Eucharist, when you break it down, means Thanksgiving. Or, actually, the word actually means good gift. But it it. You know, it's the acknowledgement that we're giving thanks for something that has been gifted to us. And so the meal is a gift, as it was for the 5,000 that day. It is for us when we receive communion. And when we sit down at a meal, the meal is a gift, even if we're paying for it. It's a gift because God has made it available to us. He allowed the pieces of that meal to be created, to be grown, to be farmed, and to get to you so that you could have a meal. So it's always important to give thanks. And when we give the prayer for Holy Communion, it's called the Great Thanksgiving. And uh, so here he is giving thanks. Before he distributes the bread... Um, and then he, then he does that. And then it says, so also the fish. Well, um, in this meal, this is different from the meal, uh, that he institutes as the holy meal, um, fish is part of it. And it's interesting, you know, later on Christianity is going to develop a symbol of the faith as the fish, And uh, that's the symbol of Christianity. And it it was that there was a time when people had to be a little secretive about whether or not they were Christian. Someone would mark on the ground what looked like half of a fish figure. And if a Christian saw that, they could mark the other half. That way they would know that each other were Christians. That was just a way of getting to... That's the origin of that symbol within Christianity, the way it was practiced. But, um, but here in this meal is bread and fish being used. So the people are getting, you know, not only bread, which is sustenance enough, um, you know, carbohydrates, I guess, in the bread and, well, well, I don't probably was a whole grain, but the, uh, they're also getting protein from the fish, which is, which is satiating and, uh. And, and helpful. It's nutritious. This is a nutritious meal they're having. And, uh, and it said that he gave them to them um, as much as they wanted. There were no limitations. They ate as much as they wanted. Now, there are doubters, skeptics who have read this account, and when they get to that, they think, okay. Well, maybe they were already fed before they got there, so they didn't want that much. So, the five loaves, two fishes was enough for everybody because everybody else had eaten already. Well, no. No, that's um, that's a sign you don't have any faith. <laughs> If you have to explain it away like that, and that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says 5,000 people sat down, Jesus gave them bread, and Jesus gave them fish after he gave thanks for those things. And they ate as much as they wanted. It doesn't say needed, it says wanted. Some of them may have been hungry all week. It may have been the only meal they got. Listen to the first phrase of verse 12. When they were satisfied, when they were satisfied, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments. So the people were satisfied with this meal. They had enough, they had plenty. They were stuffed. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, "Gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost." Now I have preached a sermon on that very phrase, gathering up the fragments. You know, Jesus always looks out for the leftovers. And I'm talking about people. He always looks out for the leftovers. He pays attention to the people that nobody else pays attention to. Because he doesn't want any to be lost. So he gathers them up. And from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. Do you remember the book of Exodus? Maybe chapter 16 of Exodus? Where God fed Israel miraculously with what they called manna. You know what manna means in Hebrew? It means, what is this? <laughs> because they went out in the morning and they saw this stuff and they said, well, what what is this? And they were told, this is what you're to eat. And they were not allowed to gather up the fragments because it wouldn't do you any good to carry it over to the next day, unless the next day was the Sabbath and you weren't allowed to take it on the Sabbath. So you got enough on Friday to do you Saturday. And then it would come again on Sunday. But here they had 12 baskets. I wonder why 12? 12 Twelve's an interesting number, isn't it? It's the number of the tribes of Israel the number of the disciples. There's something really awesome about the number 12. And here's 12 baskets of bread for a little boy whose bread and fish were taken from him to feed these people. They, he's got so much to take home now that there's no way he's gonna get into trouble. We never know what happens to the bread that's left over. It doesn't say. There's nothing said about what to do with it. But it says, When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. So the people saw the sign. Now, this is what this is what John says in his gospel about Jesus when he does anything... Out of the ordinary, anything unusual, anything extraordinary. He uses this word sign. And it's different from the words that the other disciple the other gospel writers use. They focus on miracles. Miracles and signs are similar. But John likes this word sign. It's, in Greek it's Samaea. And it means an action that points to something. So this is like a prophetic action. This is not just Jesus showing off his power. This is Jesus pointing towards something, and that something is the kingdom of God. And it's because he's pointing toward the kingdom of God that he's afraid of the crowd because the crowd is getting so satisfied with what Jesus is teaching that they think he's the one that needs to be their idea of Messiah. Their idea of Messiah is a little worldly. It's the idea that they need somebody to come and save them from Roman occupation and restore the kingdom of Israel. That's really what they thought Messiah was that's not what it is messiah is the son of god and he's among them he's fed them so jesus it says jesus realized they were about to come and take him by force to make him king so he withdrew again to the mountain by himself now i don't know which mountain they were talking about but more than likely uh the mountain on the east side of the galilean lake um where uh, it was kind of like a wilderness there. Jesus would have gone up into that mountain to get away from the crowd. Lots and lots of things we could talk about with this story. and We'll talk more when we get to the section uh, where Jesus does the teaching on the bread of life. Try, we'll try to remember this story. We're going to uh, see another miracle story the next time we uh, do our Bible study, and it'll be the story of Jesus walking on the water, which, you know, he, he, we, we know this. we're setting up for that because he's withdrawing to the mountain. It doesn't say the disciples went with him. The disciples are going to go back down to the lake, and they're going to get on a boat without Jesus. He's going to come to them. So um, try to remember all that, but uh, we'll catch back up with that in our next episode. And uh, if you have any questions and you need to uh, contact me, my email address is pastorbradscott at com. I'd love to hear from you. And uh, if, if I can't answer your question, I'll at least uh, contemplate it and uh, try to do the best I can. You have a good time. Uh, studying God's word and we'll catch you next time bye bye